What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Thrive by Nutrition Podcast. So excited to have you guys on for another episode. And I just wanted to say thank you for all the support that I've received over the past week from all of my previous episodes. Um, I just got my podcast up on iTunes a week ago, and I've already had a lot more downloads than what I was expecting. So um, I'm just really grateful that you guys are interested in hearing me talk because I like to talk and ramble about nutrition a lot. And um, I've been really enjoying being able to record these, honestly, and being able to provide a lot more context to things that deal with nutrition because nutrition, um, it's never black and white. There are always so many nuances and um, context that is important when you were talking about various principles in nutrition. And um, yeah, it's just exciting to be able to provide more depth, in-depth explanation of things. And I'm excited that a lot of people are interested in you know hearing about it. Um, so I do have one favor to ask of you guys is when you guys are list- listening to the podcast or maybe you're watching the video online on YouTube, um, take a screenshot of it, take a picture of it and post it on whatever social media platform you use the most and just kind of say what your biggest takeaway from that episode was. Um, and even if you don't do it publicly, um, just message me and let me know what you thought of the episode that you listened to because I love to um, receive feedback from you guys on things I can improve on, things you want to hear more about, things you liked hearing about. And um, if you you know share it on your social media, maybe somebody that you know uh, would listen to it and they would enjoy it too and take something away from it. So. Um, yeah, just wanted to ask you guys to do that. Um, obviously, you don't have to, but um, I would definitely appreciate it. So uh, today, this week's episode, we are going to go over three common nutrition myths. Um, only three, because I have a huge list of like 10 of them. But if I was going to go in depth on 10, this podcast would end up being one to two hours long, at least probably. So uh, to make it you know, a reasonable time frame, we're only going to talk about three Um, But I'm really excited to talk about these. These are things that I hear all of the time. And um, yeah, hopefully, you know, you guys will be able to take something away from it. So um, number one, number one myth is that the ketogenic ketogenic diet is uh, better for fat loss than a higher carb diet. Um, So first off, for anybody who isn't really familiar, I'm kind of going to explain what the ketogenic diet even is. So a ketogenic diet is a low carb diet and it's high in fat. So most people have around 70 to 80% of their calories come from fat when they're on a keto diet. Um, 10 to 20% of their calories come from protein, and only 5 to 10% of their calories come from carbohydrates. Uh, some people consume as low as just 20 grams of carbohydrate in the entire day. And if you aren't sure what 20 grams of carbohydrate look like, looks like, um, it's about one small banana. So that's all the carbs are getting the entire day, or even less, a lot of people do less. Um, so some high fat foods that they might have on the keto diet are things like really fatty meats, fatty fish, cheese, olive oil, um, I don't know, avocado, um, bunch of very, very high fat foods, a lot of butter. Um, and the idea is to keep fat super high and to keep carbs very low in order to enter a state of ketosis. Um, now if you aren't familiar with, with what ketosis is, ketosis is basically, um, when our body uses fat as fuel instead of glucose. So normally when you're in a high carb diet, our bodies like to use glucose as our primary fuel source. It's easy to break down, easy to use for quick, um, accessible energy. Um, but when we aren't eating any carbohydrates, 
our glycogen stores in our body, which are our muscles and our liver, they get used up and then we aren't eating any more carbohydrates. So we have to get fuel to survive and do things somehow. Uh, so our body converts body fat that we have or uh, fat that we consume into what's called ketones to be used as fuel. Um, and this actually happens to a very, very slight degree in healthy individuals um, who aren't even on a keto diet. If they are just fasting for a long period of time, you could see some ketone production there because you aren't eating any carbohydrates in that time you're fasting, obviously. Um, but it's a very small amount usually in those people. And it's usually only when you completely cut them out and it takes you know a few days, maybe a week, maybe two weeks to fully enter ketosis um, for a lot of people. Um, so like I said, when you're in ketosis, you are burning body fat or fat that you eat as fuel. And this is where people hear the phrase that when you're in ketosis, you're burning fat as fuel. And that is better than burning carbohydrate as fuel because um, they think when you burn carbohydrate, then it's impossible to lose any body fat if you do have any fat loss or weight loss goals. Um, so this sounds awesome, right? Like we can just simply cut out carbohydrate and we're going to burn all of our body fat as fuel. Um, but it doesn't quite work like that. So um, we need to remember that uh, fat loss isn't determined by just how much body fat or fat that we burn. It's determined by the difference between how much fat we burn and how much fat we store. So um, one thing that a lot of people don't realize or they don't know is that when we eat fat, like nutritional fat, dietary fat, um, we only really have one storage form of fat, which is body fat. Um, so when you're on a ketogenic diet, you're eating a lot more fat. So you're actually also storing a lot more fat. Um, and we always go through these periods every time we eat, when we eat, you know, we're getting a lot of nutrients in, we're storing it in somehow. So if we're eating a lot of fat, we're going to store that as body fat. And then we go through, um, you know, that period between meals where we are eating and we're burning energy somehow. And when we're on a keto diet, then we end up burning, you know, that body fat that we just stored from that meal or from a previous meal, um, we burn that for energy. And then we eat another high fat meal though. And then we store that again. So at the end of the day, it still comes down to uh, net fat balance or, um, you know, how much fat we store versus how much fat we burn. And in order to, you know, manipulate that, what we have to manipulate is our total calorie amount. Um, so in the end, it all still comes down to how many calories we are consuming versus how many calories we are burning. And this is what the research has shown. It's shown that it doesn't matter how many carbohydrates you eat, how many grams of fat you eat, if protein is the same, because protein's a little special to where it helps to retain body mass. It's not, um, it doesn't have a huge, I guess it, it's not usually stored as body fat. It's usually only stored to, um, as muscle mass or used to repair different tissues. Um, so if protein is matched and calories are matched, um, it's, been shown pretty frequently that it doesn't matter how many grams of carbs or fats you eat. Um, it all comes down to calories. And um, <clears throat> this is why a calorie deficit is required to lose body fat, even if you are on a ketogenic diet. Um, and going back to that point that I mentioned where if we're on a keto diet, we're eating more fat, so we're storing more, um, but then we're also burning more because that's the only fuel source we have. Um, on a high carb diet, we're eating a lot less fat. So we're actually storing a lot less fat. Um, and we may be burning less fat throughout the day because we have carbs. Um, but we're also storing less fat. So, um, that net balance, net fat balance is going to be equal, you know, whether we're burning more and storing more or we're burning less and storing less. So, um, 
that's where you can kind of realize that it's not this magic fat burning furnace that people talk about. Um, and you might hear, you know, somebody say, Oh, but my sister lost this many pounds in just two weeks doing keto. Um, so a lot of people actually do see drastic weight loss when they start keto, but it's not because of a lot of fat loss. Usually, usually it's because of water weight loss. And this is because, um, wherever carbs typically go in the body, water tends to go in the same direction. So for every gram of glycogen we store in our muscles and our liver, uh, we store a certain amount of water in that same area. So when you're cutting out your carbs, you're cutting out all of your glycogen in your muscles and liver, and then you end up losing some water weight in that way. Um, and another reason why a lot of people see a lot of weight loss when they start a keto diet is because usually when people start a keto diet, they cut out all of these processed foods that they eat, foods that are very high in sodium, very high in carbohydrate, and they're also very high in fat. But um, in order to you know, stay in ketosis, you have to cut out those carbohydrates too. So they cut out all of these very highly processed, high sodium, energy dense foods, like foods that have a lot of calories per their weight. And um, by doing this, they actually cut out um, a lot of sodium, which also causes water retention. So they lose more water weight through that way. And they also cut out a lot of just total calories. So they put themselves in a severe calorie deficit usually, um, which then will lead to weight or fat loss. Um, but usually this calorie deficit is a lot more severe than what we would actually really want in a fat loss phase. So then what happens is when people do the keto diet for, you know, a month or two, they lose a bunch of weight somehow um, from being in that calorie deficit and cutting out those foods. And then they go back to the normal way of eating. And um, because that calorie deficit was so severe and the way they were eating just wasn't sustainable for them, they go back to their old habits and usually gain the weight all the way back. So um, short-term weight loss from the keto diet is mainly water weight. Some of it is fat loss from the reduced calories, but um, that fat loss you do get from the keto diet. Most of the time, if you don't plan to do the keto diet for life, you're going to gain that weight back. Um, so is the keto diet useless then? Absolutely not. Um, it can be beneficial for people who have some kind of seizure disorder or epilepsy. Uh, this has been shown in research. It can be um, beneficial for some people like that in conjunction with their medications. Um, and then other people also have reported some reduced hunger when they are in ketosis. So um, some people do benefit from eating this way in order to maintain their weight or lose body weight. Um, but it's a very small population of the people that can actually sustain it. But if you are somebody who, you know, you don't really like carbohydrates and you feel like you can eat in a ketogenic manner for the rest of your life um, and no problem and you would enjoy it, then uh, 100% I would say, you know, give it a shot and see if you like it. But um, with that being said, just realize there's no magical benefit to it for fat loss. Um, so that is myth number one. Uh, myth number two is another really interesting one, which is uh, GMOs. And a lot of people think that GMOs are bad for us. Um, and I don't think a lot of people even realize what GMOs actually are. I think they just hear that term and they um, automatically think it's some conspiracy by the government to try to kill us all. Um, but it's definitely not the case. So uh, GMOs are basically organisms, or in this case, food, that... The, their genetic material has been altered in some way using some kind of advanced genetic engineering techniques. Um, and I believe the first GMO was produced somewhere around 1983. Um, 
Some GMO foods that are pretty common include like cotton, soybean, canola, um, potatoes, eggplant, strawberries, corn, tomatoes, etc. cetera, um, bunch of foods. Um, so what, what do GMOs even do? What is even the point of genetically modifying foods? Like what's the point? Just keep it natural, you know? Um, so one reason is that some foods aren't really able to grow in some areas of the world. So, uh, for example, the papaya, um, has been genetically modified to resist a certain virus that's in, in Hawaii. Um, that way they can actually grow papaya there and have it for the population. Um, I believe around 80% of papayas in Hawaii are genetically modified and without it, there would be no papaya industry there and people wouldn't be able to enjoy papayas just because they're in Hawaii, which, um, you know, it's pretty sad when you think about it. But um, also, you know, genetically engineering foods uh, can help them grow faster, which means we can produce more food in a shorter time period for the entire world and um, we can actually use the land more efficiently. Um, so without genetically modifying any foods, we may have to use a lot more land, cut down a lot more trees, use a lot more forest land in order to produce the same amount of food that we're pr producing right now, um, which obviously isn't the best for the environment. We want to um, use as little space of the environment as possible to produce the most food. Um, it can also help with reducing pesticide use because by genetically modifying some foods, they can be resilient towards some of these um, bacterias and viruses, things like that, that the pesticides need to be used on uh, to, um, you know, just keep away, I guess. Um, genetically modified foods can also be more resilient to grow in certain places that experience drought or don't have as much rainfall. So um, areas, you know, not in the U.S., around the world where they can't, they don't really have the money to import a lot of foods and then they don't have the environment to really grow the foods there. Um, you can genetically modify foods to make them better able to grow in those areas so um, people aren't starving there and people aren't um, having any hunger issues there. Um, and some GM GMO foods have also been reported to be higher in nutrients and contain more minerals and vitamins than some traditionally grown foods. And sometimes they've even been reported to taste better than some of these foods too. Um, and with all of the food waste we have, GMO foods can also help to increase the shelf life of some of our foods. That way we aren't wasting as much and they don't go bad as fast. Um, so there are a lot of, a lot of, a lot of positive things about uh, GMOs or genetically modified foods that people just don't really realize. And um, so now we have to ask the question, you know, despite all of these potential benefits of GMOs, do they have any negative influence on our health? Um, so many people believe that GMOs are bad for our health and can result in things like cancer. Um, some even believe that they can be the cause of some chronic diseases like obesity, diabetes. Um, and there are some concerns that GMO foods can lead to the mutation of certain viruses and bacteria um, because um, they aren't able to reach these foods, so they mutate, so they can. But this is mostly just speculative. There's not really any research showing this. Um, and as far as long-term health effects of GMOs, there have been no negative ones found. Um, and these genetically modified foods, like mentioned earlier, uh, a lot of times have the same or better nutritional value than their non-GMO counterparts. So um, you might even get better health, better health benefits from these genetically modified foods because 
they do have more nutrients in them. So I guess one thing that you might be wondering then is why do people think they're so bad for us then? Um, and a lot of this just simply comes down to because they're not quote unquote natural. Um, there's this idea or logical fallacy that anything that's natural is better for us and anything that's unnatural is harmful to us. And there are plenty of things that are natural and exist in mother nature that are harmful to us. Things like hurricanes, poisonous foods, viruses, bacteria, those are all negative to us, but they are normal and exist, you know, naturally in mother nature. And if you broke your leg, you wouldn't just stop yourself from going to the hospital and try to force it to heal naturally, even if you required surgery. Um, also things like vaccines, which, ooh, that's another <laughs> um, possibly controversial topic. I'm not going to get into that one because, yeah. But um, vaccines, antibiotics, um, even like phones, cars, airplanes, all of these things benefit us and um, they positively contribute to our life and help us and help our health, some of them. And they aren't quote unquote natural. So saying something is either good or bad based on just because it's either natural or not, it's just painting everything with a very broad brush. And um, it's not always true. And, you know, we can think with more context and think with more nuance and um, think more critically and more in depth about things than just trying to say things are always good if they're natural or always bad if they're unnatural. Um, so the truth is, is that there's really not much evidence showing that there are any negative health effects of GMOs. Um, and it seems like the positives far outweigh the potential negatives. Right now, maybe 10, 20 years down the road, we'll find out that, um, you know, it was true. The government was just plotting against us, making all these foods uh, genetically engineered to give us chronic disease. But right now, the evidence does not suggest that at all. Um, so that was number two. Going to number three, which is, Frequent smaller meals burn more calories. Um, this is one that I probably don't hear as often now as I did maybe three or four years ago, but um, I do still hear it quite a bit. So I figured it was pretty important to talk about. So um, often people debate that in order to um, increase your metabolism or burn more body fat, burn, burn more calories, you need to eat more often, meaning you need to eat more meals per day. So instead of eating one to two, maybe three meals per day, um, you want to eat five, six, maybe even seven meals per day if you go to the extreme. Um, and many people believe this because they think eating more frequent meals increases our metabolic rate by uh, stoking the fire, as you would say, um, because our metabolism slows down when we haven't eaten for a while. Um, so what, what exactly does the research tell us? So when we look at observational studies, um, some of them actually do kind of support this, but keep in mind that observational studies are just studies that they look at somebody in one point in time um, and look at their characteristics. They don't measure cause and effect. They just measure correlation. So basically they would look at you, ask you how many meals per day you eat and look at your BMI. And um, you know, if you ate frequent meals, like five to six meals per day and you had a high BMI, then you would go into that category where, you know, your high frequently high, high meal frequency would be correlated with a higher BMI. Um, and then the opposite if the opposite was true. Um, so important to remember that these do not establish cause and effect. They just look at associations and correlations. Um, but some research does show that the more meals you eat per day, the lower your BMI is. Um, 
but the researchers are pretty speculative of this being accurate just because a lot of these are done by just taking surveys and um, they aren't exactly sure that the participants recall of their diet is accurate for one um, and then two also the thing um, the concept of reverse causality and this is where um, you know people look at an observational study and they see things associated with it um, and they try to establish cause and effect but actually it might be the opposite way around where um, you know you having a high BMI or a high body weight might be influencing how many meals you eat instead of how many meals you eat influencing your body weight um, so so for example if somebody um, was obese let's say they're obese they might cut down their meal frequency to one or two meals per day to try to lose body weight and if somebody surveyed them right in that period of time they would think that those one to two meals per day cause that obesity um, when it could be the opposite maybe they were used to eating five to six day five to six meals per day before they were surveyed and they just recently switched to try to um, cut back on their meals cut back on their calories to lose weight so um, keep in mind that reverse causality is definitely a thing sometimes and um, basically observational studies can't establish cause and effect either way um, so what do the experimental studies actually show the studies that they actually take a group give, an, give them an intervention and see the difference so when total calories are equal and they have people put on a calorie deficit and some of them are eating maybe um, as low as one meal per day and others are eating as high as nine meals, nine meals per day uh, the research shows that um, there is no difference in fat loss between the meal frequencies um, and this is shown in both overweight and obese people and in people who are at a normal BMI too uh, so there has been really no difference in fat loss or weight loss um, based on meal frequency so um, probably just from there we could make the assumption that it doesn't increase metabolism or you'd probably see some difference in there but just for the sake of talking about it and looking at it um, let's go in more depth on metabolism specifically other than just weight loss and fat loss so uh, first let's kind of explain what our metabolism is made of so in general our metabolism um, is composed of <clears throat> our thermic effect of food which is basically how many calories we burn trying to digest absorb and process food that we eat or calories that we eat uh, number two is resting metabolic rate so resting metabolic rate is basically how many calories we burn every single day just to keep our bodies alive so if we were to just go in bed lay in bed all day not move at all and not eat anything at all um, just how many calories we burn to basically keep our heart pumping keep ourselves breathing um, keep our body alive and then number three is activity and this can be either exercise like planned exercise going to the gym or it can be um, non-exercise activity uh, so any type of movement just walking around the house walking to your car um, that would all fall under activity so a lot of people think that um, because you're eating more meals you're gonna have a higher thermic effect um, but your thermic effect is based off of how many calories per day you eat it, it's not based off of how many calories per meal you eat um, because acutely if you look at people who only eat um, maybe let's say one to two meals per day they're actually gonna have a higher thermic effect at those meals because they're just eating more calories at those meals as opposed to somebody who ate five to six smaller meals but when you look at the totality of the whole entire day if calories are matched 
overall you're going to be digesting, absorbing, and processing the same amount of calories throughout the day. So there's not going to be a difference there. Um, and then when we look at resting metabolic rate, um, if the same number of calories are consumed the entire day, it, it doesn't make a difference on our RMR. Um, if we have five to six meals per day versus one to two or three meals per day, a lot of people might hear this and think it's a bad thing uh, because they've recently switched to eating uh, multiple meals per day to try to burn more calories. Um, but this is actually good news. And, th and this is good news because it means that you can tailor your diet, your meal frequency based off of your own preference and realize that there's not going to be a huge difference or any difference at all in your metabolism or your metabolic rate. And, um, your body weight. So um, you can take an individual approach to this and not stress about having two or three meals. If you know, you're know uh, you low on time, you don't have time to cook or eat uh, a lot of meals per day, and you can have five to six meals per day if you just enjoy having smaller meals that don't make you feel as full. Uh, so you can ask yourself certain questions like, um, do you get full with small meals? How often are you hungry? Will trying to eat more frequently decrease your work productivity if you aren't able to stop and eat every two to three hours? Um, do you have time to cook that many meals per day? Um, do you get too full with larger meals and aren't able to maintain your weight or you aren't able to actually put on weight if you are trying to build muscle um, if you are only having you know two meals per day? So um, you can ask yourself those individual questions and tailor your approach exactly to your preference of how many meals you like to eat per day. Um, so those are the three nutrition myths I wanted to go over today. Um, I hope you guys really took something away from this, and I hope I didn't go through these way too fast. Um, but um, there are a bunch of other ones that I'll probably cover in future episodes. I just don't want this to be extremely long. Um, other ones that I might be uh, covering in, in the future, just so you guys are aware, so you can subscribe if you're interested in those, um, are things about artificial artificial sweeteners and those being bad for our health or being bad for our gut health specifically. Um, the fact that people think that organic is healthier than conventional foods, um, the idea that sugar automatically causes weight gain, um, things about uh, high protein diets and how they are, people believe that they are potentially bad for our kidneys. Um, and then how many grams of protein you can absorb per meal. Um, so those are other topics that I'm going to cover in the future. But right now, I'm just going to keep it at those three. So um, hope you liked the episode. Um, run through a quick summary. Number one, the ketogenic diet is not better for fat loss than a high-carb diet. It all comes down to calorie balance in the end, which then dictates fat balance, which is how, how much fat we burn versus how much fat we store. Uh, Number two, which is uh, GMO foods. GMO foods, there have been no shown long-term negative effects of GMO foods, and there are so many positives that um, you know, I can barely name them all. Uh, number three, um, eating more meals per day does not make you burn more calories. Your metabolism is not going to significantly slow down if you don't have five to six meals per day. Um, so don't stress about that. Eat you know, whatever, however many meals you feel comfortable eating that hits your total calorie target for the day in order to hit whatever goal you're, you're aiming for. So um, hope you guys liked this video. Like I said, um, if you like this podcast, take a screenshot, um, post what your biggest takeaway of it was, and um, I would appreciate your feedback. And I'll see you guys in the next episode.